Okay. Exalting Jesus. Um, so the Christmas season is known by our church as the season of Advent. Okay. Advent just means waiting. And uh, just as the ancient Israelites were eagerly waiting for the incarnation of Jesus, the Messiah, we're looking back to that at Christmas, but we're also looking forward to the second coming of Jesus when he has promised to return and make all things new. During Advent, most of the time, churches and Christians will focus on the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Okay, the nativity scene, the manger, Mary and Joseph, the angels, the wise men. But this year, I wanted to take the opportunity to do something a little different. We're going to spend uh, the next four Sundays exalting Jesus. Specifically, we're going to study an important but often neglected doctrine that's found in the Bible, which is known as the exaltation of Christ. And that sounds, uh, I don't know what it sounds like, but my goal is simple, okay? As we celebrate Christmas this year, I want us to be focused as a church on the glory of Jesus Christ. That's, that's my goal. And we're going to start this morning in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth. And under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We see that word exalted used there by the apostle in verse 9. And it might help for me to just sort of define what that word means. It's not a word we use very often in English. But it just means to be honored or to be praised or maybe better yet, to be lifted up. Okay? And we see this in the world of sports. If you've been watching a lot of football or, you know, American or world football, right? Uh, World Cup is going on right now, and I've enjoyed watching some of those matches. And what you'll see at the end of a sporting match is if someone makes the winning goal, or they shoot the winning basket, or there's some other play that a person, an individual, 
does that secures victory for their team, very often the team, or maybe even the fans, will kind of rush the field, rush the player, and they will lift that player up on their shoulders and carry them around in celebration. Okay? That's what it means to be exalted. And Paul says that Jesus has been exalted by God the Father. He's been lifted up on the shoulders of God the Father. And he's been lifted up in three ways. The first is that he's been given a name above every name. And you might read this and you might quickly assume that what he's talking about is the name Jesus. Because of the way verse 10 is worded in English. And there are a lot of Christians who believe that's, that is the name above every name. is the name Jesus. I actually don't believe that. Um, and what I want to show you is I want you... This is why I don't believe that's the name. Notice that Paul doesn't say at the name Jesus. He says at the name of Jesus. Now, that's a little confusing because of the way we speak English. But what he's talking about is the name that God gave Jesus in verse 9. A name that Paul doesn't actually mention here. But he's saying this is the name that belongs to Jesus. At the name of Jesus. The name that belongs to Jesus. Every knee will bow. And so there's really only one name in the Bible that that could be. And that name is Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God. And here's why I believe this, okay? Look at Isaiah 42, verse 8. God speaking, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. And Psalm 83:18 says that you may or that they may know that you alone whose name is the Lord are the most high over all the earth. And then back to Isaiah 45, to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance, only in the Lord it shall be said of me, okay? Anytime you see the word Lord capitalized in the Old Testament, that's actually in Hebrew four consonants which we take to be the covenant name of God, Y-H-W-H, um, which we've added the vowels to basically we think it's the word Yahweh, okay? And that's the name, according to the entire Old Testament, that's the name of God that is above every other name. It's so special, so holy that, that Jewish people throughout history, they won't actually say that name. They replace it because they're, it's, too, it's too great for them to say. And so that's the name above every name. And I think that must be the name that Paul has in mind that God has given to Jesus. But what does that mean, to, to be given a name above every name? Think about it, put it in our terms to help us understand. It might be better to think of it, instead of a name, think of it as a title. In the military, they use ranks, 
right, to differentiate people's roles and their status within the military, and the highest rank being a general. And I read that only 0.3% of all soldiers in the United States military received that rank, making it a very high honor, right? But only one person in the military bears the title commander-in-chief. Who's that? It's the president. But God has given Jesus a title that only one person in the entire universe deserves. And I think that's the right, the appropriate way for us to think about, okay, he's receiving a, a name, a title that only belongs to God. Now, as a side note, that makes this one of the most obvious places in the Bible that, for me, confirms that Jesus is, in fact, God. Okay, so if you get into a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness or um, there are some other groups that, that kind of don't believe Jesus is really God, um, there's no way that God is going to share His glory and His name with someone who is not God. <laughs> and so I would take them here as one possible place to see that. There are many others, but that's just one. So that's the first thing. Second, Paul says that God exalted Jesus so that He is now worthy of praise from all creatures in heaven and earth. That everyone and everything that exists was created to worship Jesus. I heard somebody on the radio um, last week talking about the end of the Alabama Ole Miss football game. And if you watched that game or heard about it, it was a very close game down to the last minute. And when Ole Miss lost, the cameras showed the reactions of people in the crowd. And the guy on the radio said, it looked like everyone's grandmother just died. And we get so emotionally invested in sports, right? I mean, that, that's what it looks like. And I remember seeing the camera. I remember seeing it myself. Yeah, everybody just looked like their dog just died, right? I mean, it was just, it was so, so sad. No one celebrating because the other team won, right? But Paul says that everyone will worship Jesus including his enemies. So to put that in perspective, if Jesus is the guy who scored the game-winning touchdown, what the Bible says is that even the other team would be cheering for him. Even the other team would be exalting him. And that's what this means when it says that every um, everyone will worship Him as Lord. Number three, Paul says that by, by being exalted, God has placed everything under the rule of Jesus. And that's what it means when it says that every knee will bow. Okay, So bowing the knee is an action of a subject to a king. right? So he says everyone will bow the knee to Jesus. 
There is not one inch of this universe that doesn't belong to King Jesus. He owns me. He owns you. And He owns everything that you will ever see, touch, taste, hear, or smell. It all belongs to Him. Every single thing belongs to Him. And that's what it means, okay? That Jesus has been exalted. That God has lifted Him up. He's been given the highest title. The greatest name. He is so worthy of praise that one day even His enemies will praise Him. Everyone and everything will submit to His rule. That's what it means that Jesus has been exalted. But why? Why did God exalt Jesus? Why is this happening? And you might argue, I mean, He's Jesus. He's the only Son of the Most High God. He's worthy of it just because of who He is, right? You might would say that. But according to Paul... He very clearly says that God the Father exalted the Son because Jesus humbled Himself. And so we have to talk about, what does that mean? There's a lot of misconceptions about what this means. And so I want to be very, very clear. Jesus did not stop being God when He came to earth. Jesus did not become a lesser version of God when He came to earth. Jesus remained fully God before, during, and after the incarnation. But when He came to earth, He also became fully man. Now this may sound like just kind of doctrinal technicalities. It's actually really, really important. Notice that Paul uses the word servant or slave in Greek to describe what Jesus became. And that's what Paul means when he says that Jesus emptied himself. So he he voluntarily chose. He voluntarily chose the form or the position of a servant. No one forced him into that role. He wasn't born into that role, so to speak, as we would think of it. Deterministically. He chose to become that. Jesus chose for Himself the lowest title. Servant. He voluntarily allowed His enemies to crucify Him. He voluntarily allowed people to mock Him. To mock His kingship by placing a crown of thorns on His head and writing King of the Jews across the top. And they lifted Him up. Not in exaltation. 
Not to celebrate Him, but to torture and to ridicule Him. And Jesus chose it. And that is really the heart of the Christmas story. So when you, when you think about God coming to dwell among us, we, we all think straight baby in the manger. And that's a beautiful story. And, and there will be many Advents where we talk about that and what that means. But, but still, even then, the heart of the Christmas story is not just humble beginnings, but a humble end. From beginning to end, the life that Jesus lived on the earth was humble. What I want us to do is I want us to compare that picture of Jesus. Jesus setting aside His crown, His rights, His position voluntarily. I want us to compare that to the way that our world encourages us to exalt ourselves. Because that's what it does, right? I think that we receive a lot of pressure to make a name for ourselves. We want people to notice us. We want people to look at us. We want to be liked. We want to be valued. We want to be appreciated. We want other people's approval. We want recognition, some more than others. But there's a lot of cultural pressure, right? Even if you're not that personality like I am that wants to be noticed and be up front. There's still a lot of cultural pressure to be pretty, to be smart, to be strong, to be athletic, to be talented. You feel that pressure, right? And it starts at a very young age. Intentionally or unintentionally, we teach our children this very young. We start to believe that we are responsible for making ourselves valuable or worthy. It's up to me. And if I believe I'm doing a good job, I feel proud of myself. And if I believe I'm doing a bad job, I feel ashamed of myself. And what I want you to see is that the message of the culture to try to make the most of this short life, to try to make a name for yourself, to, to build your legacy, to do something that, that's going to make you shine... I want you to compare that to what we see in the gospel message where Paul says to us, have this mind among yourselves. Would you lay that aside? 
This is a good place to mention that Philippians as a book was written by Paul as an encouragement towards unity in the body of Christ. He's trying to teach the church how to get along. How to value one another. How to serve one another. How to love one another. And this is Paul's central argument. He says, I want you to pursue unity by having the same humble mentality as Christ Jesus. I want you to stop comparing yourselves to other people. Just stop trying to make a name for yourself. Become a servant. Let yourself be humiliated if necessary for the sake of other people. Because that's how unity is forged. That's how it works. It's the only way it's ever worked. And most importantly, Paul says that this mindset... This mentality already belongs to us in Christ Jesus. He's talking about something specific. He's talking about our union with Christ. He's saying because of the relationship that I already have with Jesus, I don't need to make a name for myself. I don't need to get God's attention. I don't need to earn God's favor I've already got that in Christ. If you've got children, you remember when they were little, and and even if you don't, we've all seen little kids do this, right? You go to the swimming pool in the summertime, and little kids, when they first learn to kind of jump off the diving board, they, they get out there and, and what do they all say? Mama, look at me. Daddy, look at me. Right? And then they jump. And it's, it's, it's never anything fancy. Right? They're not, they're not, there's no Olympic dive at this point. Right? They're not doing any gainers or anything. It's just, it's just maybe a twist and a wiggle. Right? And splash. But I've never known a kid to not do this, right? Like, look at me, look at me. And unless you're a terrible parent, you will watch your kid jump into the pool and you will say, great job. Right? Great job. Brothers and sisters, if we are children of God in Christ Jesus, then He is watching. And He loves us. And it does not matter if you make a big splash for Jesus. And that's all the approval we really need. right? I mean, if you think about this, if you believe that the most important person in the universe, the person with the highest title, who owns everything you will ever see, 
to whom everyone owes their praise. If that person is watching you because they love you, because you have been accepted in Christ, what more do you need? How could you earn something better than that? The approval that God has already given us in Christ Jesus is enough. You listen to what Paul says in the very next chapter. Philippians 3. It says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, right? You think you're proud of yourself. He says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, right? So, so Paul's saying, if I want to exalt myself, I've got all the bragging rights of my people. You're not better than me. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish. That's a really polite English word. But probably what that word means in Greek is manure. Paul says, I count them all as dumb compared to Christ. My heritage, my lineage, my righteousness, it's all crap. It's worthless. He says, I count it this way in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, what am I trading it for? I'm trading it for union with Christ in His perfect righteousness. I'm trading it for union with Christ in His resurrection. In His suffering. In His sacrifice. And then he ends the chapter like this, verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, their glory. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will. 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's he saying? He's saying that if Jesus is exalted and I am somehow tied to him, if I am united to him by faith, then I don't have to work to be exalted. I have nothing to prove. In Jesus, I will share in His inheritance. That is my legacy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is our legacy. This is the promise that is found on every single page of the New Testament. And if that is true, then all of my desires in this life All of my ambitions, all of them are a waste of time unless they are defined by God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Give me Christ, the exalted king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. And we lay at your feet all of our pride, all of our shame, all of our works. All of our ambitions. All of our struggles. We lay at your feet all the ways in which we feel insecure about who you've made us to be. We lay at your feet all of the ways in which we are insecure about the path that we've been on in our lives, the mistakes that we've made. Even the things we've done right, all of it is a loss. None of it is of any value compared to the worthiness of Christ. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would convince us of this. Challenge us with it. Help us to believe it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.